I really love my life sometimes because I am 90% through Jessica Martin's new book, The Dane of My Existence, which if 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 forced to choose, I think I liked even better than her first book for The Love of the Bard, which came out last year. This is her sequel. And now I get to actually talk to the author herself. Jessica Martin, congratulations on not only this book, but two books. Well, thank you. That is so exciting to hear you like this one better because it kind of had a different vibe than the first one. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 864, More Bard's Rest. Novelist Jessica Martin returns to her fictional town of Bard's Rest, New Hampshire, in her second Shakespearean rom-com, The Dane of My Existence. Her first book, For the Love of the Bard, focused on the character of Miranda Barnes, but this new book focuses on Miranda's sister, Portia, a high-powered lawyer who's about to land the role of her dreams, becoming the youngest managing partner in her law firm's history. But during her summer sabbatical at her family's annual Shakespeare Festival in Bard's Rest, she encounters hotshot and hunky developer Benjamin Dane, and hilarity, romance, and legal hijinks ensue. Portia was a supporting character in Jessica's first novel, so I began my conversation by asking Jess whether it was fair to think of Portia in the first book as tightly wound, an antagonist, or a villain. I actually like villain. There's a part of me that's like, oh, well, if you want to go the Shakespeare parlance, she's a bit of a villain. She is, and yet you you humanize her, and it doesn't take a long time. She's the narrator of, Portia is the narrator of The Dane of My Existence, and quickly you are on her side. Yes. Understanding all her flaws and 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 and, and foibles and hang-ups, although some of them you are you tease. There are some things going on with her that you tease that you don't find out until later in the book. And in fact, mm-hmm. I, I I don't have that many pages left, I think. But I think I've heard them all now, but I don't know. Who knows? I can't wait to. I can't Could wait to. More. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't. Jess, we need to hang up because I need to finish the book. Yeah, I don't want to ruin it for you, but it does have a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, and is that one of the one of the differences between um th- uh, your previous book and this current book? The last one was a rom com, which you said you made more of a com rom, a more comedy romance, and this feels like a rom com drum, where mm-hmm. the drama is really compelling there's there's not just rom-com in it there's a bit of very tiny susan of john grisham oh thank you <laughs> there's some legal stuff in it that i find fascinating and and, and it, i love that very i don't know serious or more heady more important with a capital i underpinning to everything was that conscious on your part oh Thank you for saying that because the lawyer in me wanted to make it like perfectly accurate. I had all this detail. And then, you know, you get the editing pages and your agent, they're like, yeah, it's a lot. 
<laughs> yeah. So you got to kind of still keep it like moving along. And I'm pretty sure my, my friends in um, real estates and trust and estates and property law are still like, this is not a hundred percent accurate. And you're right. And you're like, you're right. It's not because in real life, this stuff would drag on for months, but that doesn't make for good fiction, right? Never makes for a good movie, never makes for good fiction. So yeah, very intentional. And I learned a lot about property and zoning law more so than I did in law school. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Isn't that fun where the needs of the creative project require require you to learn the things you maybe should have learned before? Yes. Or, you know, it's always the joke with writers, right? It's like, don't ever look at our Google search history. Like you had to clear that out. I mean, it's, you know, how to, how to body, you know, how to sneak across the border, you know, how to preserve a historical landmark. It's, it's all the things you don't want people seeing sort of in your, in your Google history. <laughs> and I think you just dropped a spoiler, which hasn't happened yet, but I'm, I'm guessing that that's where it's going to go. Oh, you're looking for a dead body. You're looking for a dead no, body? historical landmark. <laughs> Perhaps, perhaps, <laughs> and maybe there is a dead body. In which case, maybe there is a dead a, body. It's poor, another, it's Portia. Com another yeah. completely different kind of book. How fully realized was Portia, your protagonist in the day of my existence? How fully realized was her as a character, whereas she as a character, um, uh, when you wrote your first book? Ooh, that's a great question. Yeah, I think Portia and Cordy, right? The youngest, the the fire fire flame Cordy. Um I Cordelia, think, short for Cordelia. Cordelia, yes. Um, very fleshed out for me. Um, I have thought about the order of these books and the way I would tell them, and I've thought about the three sisters a lot. So I think part of writing, you know, for Love of the Bard was the setup for this book, which was I'm gonna make you really not like Portia, and then I'm gonna twist it. And I, I had already had sort of her you know, her match in mind, right? And I was already thinking about the battle for the town, which is why I give it to you through Miranda. You love her and you fall in love with Bard's Rest. And then you meet Portia and, and Portia's the, you know, an opposite of Miranda. She's not a Shakespeare person. She doesn't get the allure, right? And she becomes the reluctant hero um, for Bard's Rest. And I was absolutely fascinated with, like, I was so excited to write that. Um, the reluctant hero steps up to the plate and saves the town. Well, the reluctant hero and the problematic protagonist. Yeah. Is um, she problematic? <laughs> well, she's, if you don't know her that well, if you haven't yeah. read her story, yeah, she's 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 a cold lawyer. She's yeah. tightly wound, all those horrible descriptions. And yet there's lots of things. And, and I'm finding it fascinating because I'm only figuring this out right now as we talk. That you you talked last, la when last we spoke, you talked about you how much you don't like Taming of the Shrew, and you mm -hmm. have given that distaste for that play to Portia, and yet here you have written a book with a problematic heroine who finds an equally problematic dude, and they yes. are perfect for each other, just Thank like you. in Taming of the Shrew. Oh, oh, right, but I hope there's no lesson here, right? It's not about teaching the woman the lesson, right, no, or of the lesson not. of yes. obedience. Yeah, no, this is more of or a... teaching the man the lesson, yeah. Yeah, she she learns the difference. She finds the purpose. She finds a way to fit into this town when she never thought she would. Right? She finds something through her journey. It's a stupid question, but I will ask it anyway. Um, I, I, so Miranda is autobiographical in that she's the writer, like you yes. are. Portia is autobiographical because, like you, she is a lawyer. 
Um, mm-hmm. What what traits do you share with Cordelia? Cordelia, please please tell me it's the uh, glorious sexcapades that nobody wants to talk about in college. How did you know? Because it's certainly not the pastry. Um, <laughs> I will say there was a little bit of a. I, I have a really good friend. She's a beta reader, and she had read the first. You know, she had read for love of the board. And at the end of it, she said, you know, the three sisters are what you've always wanted to be in life, the writer, the lawyer, and the pastry chef. And it had never occurred to me, particularly when writing Cordy, because Cordy is the one I least identify with because she's just so, she's bold, she's out there. Um, It's very hard to catch Cordy flat-footed. I just, I I idolize Cordy, but I don't identify with Cordy. Um, And it was so interesting to hear my friend say that. I'm like, oh, yes, because I... I always joke, like, if this this legal thing doesn't work out, I'm going to chuck it and go be a pastry chef. Um, but I burn water, so I, I still think that would be highly problematic. Is Cordelia more of an aspirational character for you? Yeah, and she's bits and pieces of a couple of my friends who are just very bold and fearless. And, and that's why I love Cordy, because you never know if she's going to show up with a can of kerosene or she's going to show up with a, you know, a tray of pastries. She's just, she's a little unpredictable, and I love that about her. A chaos agent, yeah. Yeah. Was it more fun? Was it trickier to write in Portia's voice than Miranda's voice? Did it come easily to you? I would say Portia came more easily. I think a lot of Miranda is she was the middle sister, the peacekeeper. So in some ways, she was a little bit more restrained. I had a little bit more fun um, and a little bit more in common with Portia because I think that's a lot of my personality, which is to kind of be a little bit a little bit salty and and a little bit, you know, a little bit cool and a little bit over the top. Um, So it was an absolute delight writing Portia. And I think, you know, there are autobiographical pieces of that calling back to sort of my earlier years in law. You work at big firms and uh, you work those hours and you start to think about, you know, is, is it worth it? This is Christopher Moore, the author of Fool and the Serpent of Venice, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? Next month, we're performing the complete history of comedy abridged four times in North Carolina at the Bloomingthal Center in Charlotte on July 13th and 14th, and twice at Appalachian State University on July 16th, 2023. Check out the touring page at our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, or our Twitter feed, at Reduced, for the latest information. Now back to my conversation with Jessica Martin, talking about her new novel, The Dane of My Existence, set in the fictional town of Bard's Rest, New Hampshire. When you set out to write The Dane of My Existence, knowing that Portia was your protagonist. Did you know you were going to get into these issues of real estate and trusts and into these? Did you know that that's where it was going or did you discover that on the way? Oh, no, sadly, I knew that was that was where it was going and I was going to have to research this because I thought, you know, what would bring Portia back to the town and how could you make Portia fall in love and and feel a part of the town. And I think Portia loves to feel useful, right? And so what would threaten this town, this this vibrant tourist town, you know, taking away its heart and soul, right? Selling the island. So I think for me, that was going to be the stakes there, which is fall in love with Bard's Rest in the first book. And then I'm going to threaten its existence in the second book. So I knew, I knew it was coming. Were there any 
fascinating, fun tangents or things that you discovered that you hadn't planned on? Oh, I went down the rabbit hole on like early New Hampshire, you know, rule and law. And, you know, you always think it, or at least in the fine Commonwealth of Massachusetts, we always think of ourselves as the cradle of liberty. It's kind of what yeah. they teach you in law school. It started here. The Constitution is based on the Massachusetts Constitution. All great stuff. Um, but New Hampshire, man, it is deep and it is storied and they've really got some notables. But I will tell you the most horrifying thing was looking for when I, I described the Hall of New Hampshire notables. Just the amount of people and particularly professional wrestlers from the, the fine state, the granite state, was kind of blew me away. I mean, New Hampshire has some real notable characters. In the words of a song that I wrote in a musical when that I wrote when I was living there, in a musical about that the people there don't just take us for granite. Oh, oh, that is... That is lovely and may work its way into a future Bards book. <laughs> lovely and horrible, but in the way that we like our puns. The way we like our puns, yes. Yeah. Can I ask you one? Hit me. Did you like Ben Dane? I did like Ben. Kim a lot. He's very straightforward. And I liked, I, I, I loved the tension of the two characters who love what they do. Yes. This is the other thing. You can love what you do and be have difficulty finding a way to make room for the people that you love alongside the work that you love. And I, and I loved that tension. It's not just, Ooh, we're teenagers and that's all, all we need is each other. That's not true. Never has been true. Never will be true. Thank you. That is so well said. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, is he is really is handsome and taught and. Uh... Probably. Right. I mean, I feel like that goes with the genre, right? Uh, I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I had a little bit of the vapors this morning because I woke up, I woke up and, and finished reading the final night of the last oh. of July. Oh, yes. Yes. And it gets quite steamy. My goodness. Yes. Well, some of the feedback from the first book was that it wasn't steamy enough. And I, you know, there's a part of you that's like, go easy on my man. It's my first time writing one of these and going out to the public. And the last thing you want to do is write an icky love scene, right? You don't want to be end up on somebody's like, you know, worst book, worst sex scene list, right? So the second one, I felt a little bit more comfortable. Um, but again, try that out on my agent, my editor, you know, my beta readers to be like, this isn't gross, right? <laughs> I think you, you need somebody, you need those people in your life to read you, read your stuff, give you honest feedback and say, this isn't gross, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that you literally acknowledge one of your readers for from keep for keeping you from keeping the sex scenes too gross. <laughs> yes. Yes. You need yeah. those people in your life. Yeah. And it's being positioned as sort of this, you know, it's it's, it's a rom-coms, they have tropes. So it's being positioned as this, no pun intended, enemies to lovers trope. But you know, something you had said about, you know, loving what you do, they're really not enemies, right? They're rivals. They're like two business entities. And they want very different things. Yeah. Um, and so I really I wish we could like swerve a little bit on the genre and have like, you know, enemies to lover and then like asterisks below it, you know, rivals to lovers, because I think they really are. There's no animosity with them. They just want very different things. And it's how they come back together to, you know, get around that sort of that final piece. It's sort of the definition of conflicts of interest. Can they be yes. can can they be reconciled? And uh, and early on, I mean, what I love about this, and I hope that this is a good thing, what I love is that I'm thinking, 
oh, these guys are going to be able to figure this out. This isn't hard to figure out. There will be complications. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm reading assured of a happy ending, not just because yes. of the, tr of the genre, but because I have faith in the characters. Mm -hmm. So, and I yeah. love that. I love that aspect. It wasn't yeah. a question of, oh my God, how will they get together? How yes. will they work it out? It was, it was, I'm confident that they will work it out and I can't wait to see how they do it. Yes. And it's a little bit like a, a real life merger, right? Like I used to work in a lot of mergers, which is, there's no real winners and losers. Everybody comes with a little bit of what they want and, you know, something that, you know, they had to sort of retrench and, and think through, right? So it's just, I feel like it's more realistic in that way. It wasn't, there was never going to be like a clear winner and a clear loser here. I'm about 80 to 100 pages left in the book. And so far you have not yet quoted a line that also resonated with me. Um, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice ah. to deceive. Oh, it's such a good, if I could go back and put <laughs> that, that's such a good one. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, except for one more thing, which I'll share with you in about 60 seconds, so stick around. Jessica Martin's new novel, The Dane of My Existence, drops next week on July 4th, 2023, but you can pre-order it now from your favorite bookshop. Then send us your lovely, terrible puns via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com or throw a comment to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram or on our own actual website, reducedshakespeare.com or visit my website, theshakespeareans.com. You can also follow Jessica Martin on Instagram at cjesswritebooks. Thanks, as always, to hunky developer Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and GarageBand, our random fan shout-out this week goes to Rima Zlatan. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Christopher Moore, the New York Times best-selling author of Fool, The Serpent of Venice, and Shakespeare for Squirrels. And as always, thanks very much to you for listening. Please continue to stay safe and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 864-2590 seconds of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. What's next for the characters in Bard's Rest? Do we have plans? Uh, we we have some tentative plans. I think these are still very much um, in the works. But I think, you know, I think Cordy is the sister who's been left behind, right? She's the one who has stayed in Bard's Rest. And she's stayed throughout these illnesses. And she's stayed throughout these things coming in and out. I think for Cordy, it's really the journey of, do you stay or do you go? You know, you you love Bard's Rest, but, you know, Cordy, I think, is a bit, uh, she got a bit of a wanderlust. Um, and so thinking about a lot of, like, who who could possibly earn Cordy, right? Like, who earns Cordy, I think, is a, is a, a question that's going to be really interesting to explore. And then, you know, what is her relationship with Bard's Rest at the end of this, right? And um, uh, uh, this is not a spoiler, but I just hope it makes one of people pick up the bu book more. There's an adorable dog named Hamlet. Come on. Yeah, I think all of my heroines will end up with four-leggers, right? I think that's part of the, if you read a Jess Martin book, you know that the heroine at some point is going to get a puppy. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.